Well, bless the Lord. Amen. I trust that uh, I trust that you had a a good day today and a good time of fellowship. And we have it's it's been really nice to port the workout where we've had time to sit down and talk to people. And there have been conferences that we have had when we've had a lot of folks here, and everybody running over themselves to do whatever it is they're doing and trying to take, you know. And we've gone through the whole conference and hardly had time to do anything more than just shake hands with somebody and say, you know, glad you got to come, but not to sit down and, and visit and talk. And we've been able to do this this time uh, among, you know, uh, you've been able to do that with others that are here. And, and it's just been a, it's been a good time. It's been a good time. Uh, we're barbecuing, actually smoking a brisket right now, and uh, started that all earlier today uh, after the, uh, long about noon, I guess, or maybe 12.30 or so, and uh, uh, it's still being smoked as I speak, and, and Rabin is taking it home tonight with him and anyway we'll have that for for tomorrow and uh, so for you who like smoked bris brisket we will uh, we'll have it for you and uh, and I'm going to enjoy it So I trust that you will as well. The thing I enjoy most is standing there while it's smoking and cutting a piece of it off with my pocket knife and eating it. That's why you stay close to the smoke. Yeah, that's why I haven't been allowed to get close to it today. But I, oh, you know, I was practicing social distancing. Except with the brisket. <laughs> yeah, social distancing with a big slab of beef. But it is good during that time to cut a piece off of there and eat it. That's the way you know whether it's good enough to serve or not. Whether it's whether it's ready. All right. It's it's been a good week.
and uh, and it passes by really quickly. It really does. But for you guys who were able to come, we we're so glad that that you were, and we've had a good time just being here with you. And uh, uh, when are we going to eat the when, after the service? After the service in, in tomorrow morning. Okay. So this won't be we won't be doing that tomorrow night. We'll be doing it after the service in in the morning. And uh, uh, so we'll do that and. All right. Okay, we're talking about in these sessions the uh, the reality of being in Christ. Reality of being in Christ. And Thursday. Uh, so we've had two sessions already. And, uh, and have looked at that reality to some degree. The thing that I want us to look at tonight, at least consider it, is the high priest himself. Now there, there's an order in the scripture and, and I call it, just to me, it's the order of salvation. It's how, it's how the Holy Spirit presents our, 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 yeah, presents and shows uh, our salvation. There, there's an order to it. And you'll see what I'm talking about in, in, in just a moment. Um, it, if you, you remember, you can find this throughout the scriptures and you can follow it right on, right on through. And it's just a tremendous thing because the scripture is given as the testimony of Jesus Christ. The Lord said that himself. Uh, the tabernacle was given as a testimony of Jesus Christ. And, and, and it is. I mean, from the pegs with which they staked it down to the furniture that's in it, to the embroidery upon the veil, right on through to, to what they did in there and to who did it. All of it. The testimony of Jesus Christ. All of it. All of it. He fulfills the He fulfills the very tabernacle itself. He fulfills every color that was used in it, every skin, every piece of material. He fulfills everything that was done in it. Everything that was even brought into it. It's a tremendous search. And I think I've been talking about that just 
saying we're just kind of using that as a foundation or as a beginning or whatever. Uh, but it's the same with, with, with the high priest because the high priest is part of all of that concerning the tabernacle. They had to have a high priest there in the tabernacle. It had to be a high priest. And so there's this, this order because there's something that Daniel said the first night of, of our gatherings here. And I made mention of it a time or two. Where they were at the Red Sea. Pharaoh was behind them. All of that. And the Lord told Moses to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. To see the salvation of the Lord. And that's really what you see throughout the scripture. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear. You who were in the session this morning know that to be so. You, what did you see there? As Raven went verse by verse, what did you see there? You saw the salvation of the Lord. Now you saw it in the person of Christ and in the cross. But my point is you saw the salvation of the Lord. Because the salvation of the Lord is Christ himself. It's all gathered up in him. All of it. Tremendous thing. So the order of that is what I want us to just consider and I'm using these two words to consider it. One is, uh, well, it's three words. The first thing that I'm using is the exaltation and exclusiveness of Christ. And the second one is the inclusiveness of you and I. Whatever he is with regard to our salvation, we are included in it. He is the head of the body. We're the body. You understand? We're included. That's why we use the term in Christ. Christ in you, yes. You in Christ. Now, we are never what he is exclusively. We're never the Christ. But we're the body of him. We're, we're never the son of God. But the Son of God is my life. He's your life. He dwells in you. You are included. You're not standing on the outside looking in at who He is. You are finding the reality of who He is because He lives in you. 
and you live in him. But those two terms, because there are folks that I have heard preach. You know, we are the Christ of God. No, you're not. No, you're not. We're not. You're not. Because he is. He is. And you who get those monthly CDs know that I made a big deal out of that on several of those CDs just talking about the term the Christ. And that's what Peter said. And Jesus said, my father showed this to you. The Christ. And all that that talks about. So, he is exclusively the high priest. And we're going to see that exclusiveness here because we're just going to do some reading in Hebrews. And you'll see that exclusiveness there. But no sooner will we see that until we will see how that we are included. We come in to the picture. Not as, not as who he is, but as those who dwell in him. And as those who dwell in him. I had a precious brother one time come to me years ago. Now, I, and when I say precious, I mean a precious brother, a brother that I dearly loved then and still do. And, and he was very upset. And his question to me at a certain place was, if what you say is true, if Christ is everything, Everything is summed up in it. If he's everything, then where does that leave us? And my answer to him was, Brother, it leaves us in him. And I don't know another answer to that. It leaves us in him. It's not like he's far off from us. Because he isn't. But we will never be who he is, huh? I mean, our salvation wouldn't be worth a plug nickel. If we were who he is, I mean, come on. But to know that all that he is and everything, spiritual thing, that he is, dwells in his body, dwells in you, dwells in me, dwells in us. Because he is made that thing unto us. One of the things you will notice most uh, in, 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 in Paul's teachings with regard to our being in Christ, 
with regard to that. And he gets really specific on that at certain times. And so one of the things you'll notice most about that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And would, I'm, I just want to cut to the chase on that because I do want to read some in Hebrews. Uh, verse 30. Verse 29 says that no flesh should glory in his presence. And, and that's good because we're going to be talking about being in the presence. And no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him, but of him, speaking of, speaking of, speaking of God, but of him, are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption? He could went right on down the line using every term of our salvation. The terms he used gathers a great deal into itself. Wisdom may well gather it all into itself. But the point is, he's not saying that he made us any of this stuff. But rather, he made Christ unto us. And you can add joy to that. Paul does. Peace, rest. And on and on and on. According as it is written. Why? That according as it is written. Let him that glorieth. He that glorieth. Let him glory in the Lord. For he is the Lord of glory. And he has brought us there, hon, in himself. So we have an inclusiveness. An inclusiveness in who he is. But who he is, he is exclusively. We never become that. But we are the beneficiaries. We are the partakers. We are the heirs of all that fullness that is in Him. Hallelujah. I wanted to take some time and... Won't do that because it was a very strong thought that really hit me and still does. And I mentioned it, it just the Lord speaking to me over again and bring him, it's about the cross. It has to do with the cross, as everything does. But the Lord just speaking to me as a son, as a child, as a servant. Son, just speaking in my heart, you're dead. 
you are dead. Now I know that's, you know, man. Uh, some will say, yes, yes, dead to sin. Well, yeah, dead to sin. But if you're dead, you're dead to everything. It's dead. <laughs> For you are dead, your life is hidden in Christ, in God. But to just really realize that is because that, that comes from the Lord, from the Spirit of the Lord continually showing you that Christ is exclusively all of your salvation. You have life, that's Him. Exclusively, He is your life. Exclusively, you have no other. You have no other. You, you simply don't. We used to teach two lives. That was a bad teaching. It really was. We, we, we taught it to mean, you know, uh, the old life and the new life and the Adamic life and the, and the Christ life and this and that. But then books got written on two lives and people actually believed they had them. Two, two lives. And they were battling. One was battling with the other all the time. Uh, you know, if there's a battle going on, then it's a battle brought about by ignorance of one life. And that life is Christ. That life is Christ. We were talking a while ago, I was talking to some of the, over in the building. When one died, all died with him. I mean, it wouldn't have worked any other way. If he had left one human being out, that human being could have never come to Christ. Could have never come to life. Could have never known the grace of God. One died, all died with him. And yet, the dead who will hear my voice shall live. Paul did that. I mean, he did that. He, he, he really heard the voice. Outside and inside. He did that. But then in seeing the voice, in seeing the one who was in him, the Father revealing him in in Paul, he realized, yes, I live, but it's not me, but not I, not I. Resurrection is not me living again. It is Christ living in me. That's what resurrection is. It's an altogether different life. It's an altogether other life. It's a life that my soul, that as a soul, I was created for, and yet did not come to. Did not come to. And as a soul was told, thou shalt surely die. It's an appointment. Who kept that appointment? Christ did. Who did he keep it for? Mankind. The whole of the Adamic creation. Whether they're black, white, brown, or purple. It ain't making a difference. When he went to the cross, he went there as me and as you. 
He endured the shame of that. The shame of it. The scriptures say this. And he did that for the joy that was set before him. Now personally, I believe that that joy is, is beautifully said in the first few verses of John 17. That that was always the joy that set out before him returning to his father. And the glory that I had with you, Father, before the world was, glorify me with thyself, because he had to lay all of that down. And I've thought and thought and thought about that, because, you know, the, I mean, what else would be a joy to him? You know, gold streets? No. Or whatever. And that's the joy, you see. That we come to share with him, in him. For it is his spirit that enters into our heart crying, Father, 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 Abba, Father. My soul could never cry that out except for the indwelling Christ. But part of the reality of knowing that indwelling Christ is a reality of coming to call God our Father. Why? Because the Son is our life and we are His body. That's why. He is exclusively that, hon. But please get a hold of this because when I tell people this, and I've noticed it over the years, but I'm really put up on of the Lord to say that during this time. And I look around, probably not because of any of you are here, but we're, we're going to others in these sessions. Because of that exclusiveness and, and that statement that was made. And, 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 and what, what Rabin was pressing on throughout the whole session this morning. And that's something that we need to come to realize in our soul that it is never, ever, ever me. It is always him. Now I can be as ignorant as a duck in a hailstorm about that But that's the truth that is revealed in us because that truth is a person. The truth is not something God says about his son. It's his son. It's his son who is the, and equivocably, he is the truth. The truth. What I'm talking about, all right, is something I want you to be aware of. I just want you to see it, and then I want you to take note of it as you search the Scriptures. Just, just take note of it, and that is this exaltation of Him. And in that exaltation, you, it's in the Scriptures. Paul always does it, but the whole Bible does it. 
that order of things. It's always, it's, it's like the body of Christ. It's that same order. Head first, after that, those who are in his presence. That's, that's 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, verse, chapter 15, verse 20, 21, 22, right in there. And it's about the resurrection. And it's speaking of the resurrection there. But the verse says, for those uh, who are, how does it put that? Anyway, it, at his coming, at his coming, which is a terrible mistranslation there in, 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 in the King James. It's talking about those that are his, Pardon? With him. Yeah, with him. Thank you. With him, which is actually there in him, in his presence. The word coming there is perusia, which means presence. Presence. And that's what we're talking about here. He has brought us into the presence. No flesh shall glory in his presence, in the Father's presence. No flesh shall glory. And he did, so what he did, he did so that no flesh could stand before him. We only stand before him in the Son. No. Not as the Son, not in the not in the most not in the, the most uh, unique way, not as the Son, in the Son, as those who are His body and the only body He does have, as He is the head of that body and we are that body, but not as as not us being Him. That's, that's just not true. But we stand in him as those having Christ as their only life. But I don't use, when I say that, sometimes I think, I wish you'd quit, I, I just told myself, I wish you'd quit saying that. Don't say that. That doesn't sound good. It sounds like that's, well, that's the only life we've got, huh? That's the, yeah, that's true. But that is, that's the only life that exists is Christ. We need to hear these things. What am I doing? I'm talking to you about the exaltation of our great high priest. And if I don't get to these chapters again tonight, please you read chapters 7 and 8 and 9 of Hebrews. And it'll bring you right down to verse 24 of chapter 9, which is where we potentially are going. Because there we're in the presence. But we're in the presence because we're in Him. For only He. You know, in, in John 14, and this is part of this. This is part of what I want to tell you. In John 14, did, did you notice something there in, in John 14? Uh, it talks about the Father's house. 
which turns out to be Christ presented, making, preparing himself as a place for us, preparing himself as a place wherein we may abide. So he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Where was he going? John 14. He was going to death. I mean, that, this was two or three days before the cross. I mean, there's no big mystery about he was going away for a while. And to them, if he had, it, I mean, they spent three and a half years with him. They accepted him as being sent of God. And, and here he challenges them and says, you believe in God in the same manner, after the same way, believe in me. I go to prepare a place for you. If it wasn't true, I wouldn't have told you. I will come in you and I will receive you into myself. That where I am, you may be also. And then one of the disciples that often asked questions similar to this asked, we don't know what you're talking about. How, how can we know? How can we know? When we, we don't know how to get there. We don't know where you're going. We don't know anything. And in verse 6, the Lord said this. I am. So there's... And see, this is the same thing. I was thinking about this this morning, and I'm, you know, I'm not redoing anybody, but I, I, but I, I talk about it. Uh, where Rabin was, what, what was the two words he was using? I mean, he used them again and again and again. And what, what was it? Alpha, Omega. I am. See, okay. When he uses that term, hon, that is something that is not. He isn't going to show us something. He's going to show himself as being that something. And only him. All of this is an exclusiveness, but he brings us, he includes us in the reality of it. I am the way. It's the way by which we come and in whom we come. And yet that is not just some way, a way, some kind of a way. It is exclusively Him. There is no other way. And you'll hear that watered down all the time. That, well, you know, here's, here's ten points that, that will make you understand uh, what that way is. No, don't, don't go there. Because there's not ten points. There's one way, and it's Him. It's Him. But he goes on, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what? Well, he had a, he's going to tell us, so what? No man cometh. You need to underline that, circle it, do something with it. Because that stands in itself as being tremendous truth. No man cometh. And then he goes on with that. 
But that is true. I mean, put a period right there. There's no flesh of glory. And we're going to deal with that if I have to jump all the way over to the end, and we probably will. Something Moses said. No man cometh. Remember when Moses was asking the Lord? We're going to read it in just a second. We'll probably do that. At least I'll get to that part. And what, what did God tell him? No man shall see me, my face, and live. You, you can't see me, Moses. You can't see my glory. And he loved Moses, and he spoke to Moses, and he spoke to Moses as it were, face to face. In other words, he didn't speak to Moses through Aaron. He spoke directly to Moses. And spoke to Aaron through Moses. But I was reminded of that. No man cometh. Well, Lord, what... What, what do you mean by that? I mean, I mean, no man cometh. That's what I mean. No man cometh unto the Father. See, not a place. Not a, not a place. Not something far off. That isn't what he's talking about. He's talking about a relationship of our salvation that he was about to usher into existence through his death and burial and resurrection and ascension and return anew on the day of Pentecost. And do what he said he would do. Gather them right into himself. No man comes to the Father but by me. And I looked up the word by, because a lot of times it can only be used in one way, and this time it can be used as, it, it, it can mean in, just as well as it can mean the channel of the action. Most of the time by or through speaks that it, it's, the, it's the channel through which the action uh, takes place. And that's all right, because Christ is the channel uh, of, of that and, and uh, he's the channel of ministry and, and so forth uh, and, and what is done is done by him and that's, that's true too but in this case uh, in, in the word study that I was looking at uh, I can't remember now whether it was uh, Vines or whether it was one of the other guys but they were emphasizing that uh, it's interchangeable and uh, because in either way, it is speaking of a relationship of completeness. And I was looking at that and I thought, well, see, that's, that's true. Because up here in, in, in verse 3, he has said, uh, you know, I will receive you uh, unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. And then he talks about it in verse 20. I am in my Father, you, you will see that you are in me, and I am in you. Well, so here, they didn't understand, so here he says, 
I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father. And you still hear that preached today as, you know, preachers saying, but we're, we're showing you the way. We're telling you the way. And, uh, and we're preaching the truth. And, and, and in, in some ways they are, but they fall short of bringing that into the very person of Jesus Christ. They get around to talking about it. It was something that he did for us. And one day we'll, you know, and then we'll go on that one day thing again. But that isn't what he's talking about. No man cometh to the Father. Give me this, give me, give me this liberty. Except he come in me. No man comes to the Father except in me. The Father receives no man except he be in me. And how is it that you and I are in him? By way of the cross, by way of the work of the cross, by way of his death, burial, resurrection. Paul saw that, and when he talked about it, he just said it. I am crucified with Christ. Now, hon, in anybody's language, that means dead. You know, that means dead. I'm crucified with Christ. That was a present condition, a present understanding, a present reality with Paul. It was the thing he cried out for in, in Romans 7 without really comprehending. Well, he, when he was writing Romans 7, he comprehended what he was saying, but but he was talking about the time that he was under the law and he cries out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He found out that was the cross and all that the cross gathers into itself. And the first thing that it gathers into itself in divine order is his death. His death. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Sweetheart, that is such an unbelievable thing for the natural mind, and that's the reason most natural minds don't ever hear, you know, the truth. They, they hear a description of salvation that they can get a hold of with their natural mind and follow through with the, whatever they're directed to do and, and do it. And even in that time, if un, unbeknownst to them or, or, you know, unbeknownst to whoever... They, the Lord received them, they're actually born from above, born again, they still go away thinking that, well, my sins are forgiven, but they don't really go away understanding, my God, Christ lives in me. 
They don't understand that. They never heard that. The miracle. That we have dwelling in our very souls the epitome of the allness of I don't I just go on down the words of the only life that there is that there is it's not what God gave to animals and enabled, you know, because they die. It's not what humans in the natural have because they die. But Jesus said, when he was declaring himself to be the resurrection and the life, those that believe in me and live in me and walk in me, all of that is, is really what he's saying there to Martha. Those that are in me shall never die. And if they were dead, yet shall they live, and that's dead in sin. And those who abideth in me shall never die. And that has nothing to do with your natural body. But it has everything to do with your life. Which is Christ. Himself. So what is this law I keep talking about, or this, this pattern that I keep talking about. And Paul lays it out. Every time we see the Lord doing some kind of a work here in, in, the, in the Old Testament, in, in the Scripture, in the Covenant, every time... I mean, even having Peter up into the mountain, even meeting, not Peter, but you know, Moses, even meeting Moses uh, on the road with, with the bush. And we can just go on and on and on and on. But, but when the Lord is about to do something, uh, the first thing that he does has to do with the exaltation of his son. Of his son. Let me. Let me see. Right here. Genesis. 1. And verse 1. Time I find it. You'll find it. You may beat me there. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep. All of that was a condition. Now here is the work of God. What did the Lord do? 
The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Now, you follow that right on through, and you know who that light is. And then John gets a hold of that, and it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, or it was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And the scripture goes on in the New Testament to say that nothing was made without him that was made. Everything the Lord did, even in this creation, was in and of itself an exaltation of the Son, an exalting of the Son. And then it comes to that seventh day wherein only the Son is exalted that wonderful reality of the true sabbath of god so it was the same way when he whoever he dealt with you'll look at it there and you'll see i mean I mean, you'll see it in, uh, in Esau and Jacob. You, you just see it. There's an order there. And it's always the son. Son first. Why? Because everything the father has done, he has done in the son. There is no salvation aside from other than who the Son is. There's no rest. There's no place, dwelling place eternally except in our union with Him, our soul, in our union with Him. So He highly exalts that Son because that Son is, is exclusively what the Father is all about. So what is the next thing that He does having exalted the Son? He deals with us concerning our union with Him. First, He shows you that great salvation. He stands still and see the salvation of the Lord. And then what does He do? Well, then He parts the Red Sea. Because it's like a veil. You ever thought about that? It's like a veil. And He parts the whole thing and they... They go right through it and on beyond it. Because even in a type and a shadow, he, he's looking beyond Solomon, but he's looking at Solomon. And the temple and all of that. I mean, think about that. And they had to enter into Canaan to see that. 
Nothing so special about Canaan as just a piece of land there. But it was what God showed of his son in that place, just like he did to Abraham. What he showed Abraham was his son. And that's what made the place important. That's what made the altar important. There he saw the Lord. There he showed him the seed and the endless measure of the seed. On and on and on. Same way with Moses. Same way with Israel. And that's why in looking at the great high priest, we have to look first at Aaron and the order of Aaron. Because he shows that this high priest is above all of that. This high priest hath not entered in to places made with hands. This high priest hath not entered in to the figures of things to come. And we still have in the world of Christian religion, men and women and preachers, whether men or women, who think that that's the way it is. That he has entered into a place that one day, by, by one some means, we will get there too. And then they paint it to be like a thing that you can that you can see. I mean, you know, like a big Disneyland in the sky or something. How many of you have heard? How many of you out there have heard over your lifetime preachers preach on heaven? How many times, if you've heard that, how many times and they're doing that, has it been centered exclusively in Christ? How many times in, in your hearing that have you, have you come away saying, my word, it's in him. Who is the what of it? Let there be light. He's the light of it. The substance of it. This is just a type and shadow over here, hon. And even in that, can you hear this? I know you can. Even in that, He alone is exalted. And we see the exclusiveness of Him. And God after that then, and He separated the light from the darkness, because there is no darkness in light, nor is there light somewhere mixed up in darkness. Where there is light, there isn't any darkness. That's Christ. That's a testimony of Him. Now He made the sun, the moon, the stars so that that would be, at least in an artificial way, 
light upon the earth. But it was for, they were for signs and for testimonies. And they were for dividing in the natural sense of time one day from another day. But in the creation, God didn't separate the days that away. He made all of that in one, but you know, there was there a different kind of separation of the days. And finally, it came to the only day that God blessed. He'd look at what he did in those days, you know, and he'd say, it is good. But he came to this one that was outside of the other six so-called days. Outside of that, it was a creation in and of itself, and it was called Sabbath. And honey, it's still a creation in and of itself, and it's called Jesus Christ the Lord. <laughs> he is that Sabbath. He's the glory of it, the light of it, the substance of it. He is that rest. Let me read something to you in Hebrews. Chapter 4. It, it sets you up. It sets you up for uh, chapter 5 and 6 and 7. And then that sets you up for chapters all 8 at least through 12. But particularly 8, 9, and 10. But here in Hebrews 4, talking about the Sabbath, talking about rest. Verse 10 of chapter 4. Verse 10 of chapter 4. You can read the rest down to it. You'll, you'll see why. You can read it right on down through there. It says, there remaineth a rest. There remaineth a rest. Uh, and some must enter therein. Verse 9 says, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Here's the security of it. Here's, here's the guarantee of that. Because here is that rest. And, now, and he's already up here, he says, but, you know, Joshua couldn't take him into that rest. That, because later on, he talked to David about another day and another and another rest. And, and, and then it doesn't, he doesn't mention that here, but uh, uh, he talked to others about that too. Uh, still, but now the Hebrew writer is about to bring all of that into the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does it here in verse 10. The, there, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. And then the word for here is actually like saying because... This is the reason of that. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. 
Who is that he? It's none other than Jesus the Christ. It's none other than him. There is no other in the Bible. No matter who it was. There's not even a prediction of one to come. There is a prediction of one to come under the old covenant. And here's the one who came. Solomon was a great prediction of him. If Solomon finished the work that his father gave him to do and had prepared it for years and years and years and years, and then Solomon finished it and rested from it and then ruled and reigned in it, how about the Son of God, the greater than Solomon? Now there are several word scholars and that, that we can get a hold of. That we, we have them and, you know, they're commentators. And a couple of them particularly who make a point out of verse 10. One of them says, there's only one that this could describe, and that one is Jesus Christ the Lord. And, and that's true. I never, you know, why should we ever doubt that? For he that is entered into his rest, come unto me, ye that are labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It is not a heavy burden. I'm not still adding things, you know, I won't just keep talking about that. But the point is, this is the high priest. This is the son. This is the one that I mentioned the other night and the only one that could ever do it who said, Father, I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. How could you get involved in dispensational stuff and blame it on God when the, if you had any understanding at all or if you'd even ever read it in the book and, 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 can, and could see with any seeing of God at all this, this union, this oneness between the Father and, and the Son You want to see exclusiveness of him? There it is. But here's the point that I say that I want to at least get said. Here's the point. You and I. Now here, here's why no flesh glories in the presence. My God, hun, flesh can't even get there. You come there by the door. You come there by the cross. You come there by new birth. You come there by being baptized into his death and buried with him. That like as he came forth in the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in unison of life, certainly because he's our life. 
It is not me standing there as me or in any way other than in Him. If, he, if He's not the finish of that work and that work is not fulfilled complete, then there isn't any work. It doesn't even exist. If He didn't finish the Father's house, the Father doesn't have a house. So don't, don't talk to me about one day. We've already gone through the scriptures with regard to that day and in Christ that day has come. And this one is entered into his rest. Entered into his rest from his own works as God did from his. Oh yes. It's the same work. It's the same work. The work that God talked about and, and that they talk about up here in chapter 4 on up in here, you know, pointing back to the creation and Him calling the seventh day and, and all of that. But see, all of that is a testimony of the one that finally came. And it came in the person of His Son who had to leave who had to leave for a little while and be made lower for a little while. He had to leave that, that glory in order to be born of flesh, in order to become man, in order to go to the cross and do what? Put man to his appointed death. Thou shalt surely die. Now I can't prove this next statement. But every time I used to see that, way back yonder, because even in Bible school I couldn't, thou shalt surely die. That sounded like it was saying something to me. It didn't just say thou shalt die. Death's going to catch up with you. No, thou shalt surely die. One day after I'd seen the Lord and, you know, and, and we're searching the scriptures, I was reading Philippians. And I'd never really noticed it before, but I mean, another word just stood up. He became obedient. You know, what he did, took upon himself form of servant, no reputation, all of that. I mean, that's how great we are. He, he took upon us, took upon himself, you and I, in order that he would have no reputation. We didn't add anything to him, honey. And he went there as you and I. He became obedient unto death. Then it says, even the death of the cross. And I heard it. Thou shalt surely die. Obedient unto death, surely the death of the cross. Because he's the only one that could die. Man couldn't die that, and yet God said, you'll die that death. No way man could do it. He could just get out there and live a while and fall over dead. But not that death. Not the death of humanity. 
not the death of the whole Adamic humanity, but that's what Christ did. Now that is, you will surely die. That's something the Son submitted Himself to. The same Son that stands before the Father. And He has gathered up into Himself the whole work of the cross at that time. At that time. And He was yet to go, but He had already, he had already announced the hour is come. Or should I say, Father, deliver me from this Deliver me for this hour. But for this cause I am come to this hour. Father, glorify yourself. My God, hon. Father, just glorify yourself. Now he stands a while after that because he was approaching the cross even there in John 12 where I just quoted. But now he's standing before the Father. I mean, he may have 24 hours, I don't know, but it's right there. And he speaks, he speaks in the reality of the whole thing being done. There, there, he's not standing there doubting whether he's going to be able to get it done or not. There's no doubt in this. This wasn't catch as catch can. This wasn't some kind of a knee-jerk action on the part of God. No. This, this was all set up before the world was ever created. And the covenant was there. Father... I have finished the work. And he had come to that. He had come to making that very thing manifest. Father, I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. That thou gavest me to do. And and the word me there is it, it just it stands out. It has the same meaning to it that the word mine does over in over in John sixteen, he will take of mine and show it unto you. And in the classical Greek that is a that is a uh, an elongated form of the word me. And so when they're talking about it, they, they, they put it in, they, they, they capitalize it. So what he's actually saying, he will take that which is me and will show it unto you. Is that not what the Spirit of God does? The one who takes spiritual and compares it with spiritual things and compares them with spiritual. Well, there's only one that fulfills that, and it's Christ. He just brings everything in and says, well, you know, you're looking for joy. Or you're searching here and there. Well, here, look at him. Here he is. He just gathers everything up. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Just gathers everything up and shows it to you in the Son. 
And it's always him, just me. It's just me. So it's the same way. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. And who appeared before the Father in that, in that ascension? And, and wouldn't let anyone touch him and hinder him in fulfilling what he had to do. I have not yet ascended to my Father. You go tell, you go tell my brethren that I am ascended to my Father and to your Father. He showed him, he presented himself to the Father. And in him, hun, I don't know whether throughout eternity, I, I really don't. I don't know because I don't try to imagine beyond the time that I'm going to spend in this body. I just know that it's an eternity in him. But I, I don't go any further with it than that and make speculations. But it seems to me that it will just be a glorious time. And see, we, we want to call it a time. Fact is, it's not. It's eternity. Of knowing Him. Of knowing Him. And I don't know beyond that. I mean, there's not something else, but I don't, I don't know. And when you get into it, you just, you know, just, my world does not get into it. And, but the tremendous reality Tremendous, tremendous reality of being in Christ. Of being in Christ. And right here, why does there remain a rest for the people of God? Why He was writing this, showing they missed the rest. The rest didn't go away. When they failed to enter into it, God didn't do away with it. It's still a rest. The rest is still promised of God. That's what he's really pointing out here. They heard the gospel. They heard, but they didn't mix it with faith. They missed it. They didn't enter into it. And even when he came and said, come unto me, I will give you rest. They didn't receive him either. See? So the Hebrew writer here is saying, there remaineth a rest. Because... Because he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. He finished it. He finished it. And he brings us into a work that is finished, full and complete. And yet, there's tremendous action of the Holy Spirit there all the time. All the time. It's not like something isn't going on, but what's going on is the Spirit of God. The unction of the Spirit, the anointing of the Spirit upon the anointed of God. The opening of the eyes of our understanding, the leading, the guiding, the directing. 
the taking of me and all that is me and showing it unto you. Oh, honey, there isn't any time, there isn't any what. You know, I, I get a lot of ways and I get a lot of things. I mean, you know, maybe I get tired, maybe I get crippled, maybe, but I, since the seeing, I, I never get bored. I'm never bored. I don't have to be entertained. Sometimes I don't want to be entertained. I just never do. Because there's never not something going on. I mean, really. It's alive, honey. I mean, he liveth. I am he that liveth. And in that he liveth, he liveth in me. He liveth in you. This is the greatness of our high priest. And, and much more than what we're looking at. But I would like for you to just look at the difference. Because the Hebrew writer is doing a tremendous job there in, in breaking away the difference. But where he takes this high priest. And I, and 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 and. And if you will, just take a little time and read the whole seventh chapter of Hebrews. That'll get you ready for the eighth. The whole seventh chapter is concerning the Melchizedek order. Now let me close by saying this, because uh, the numbers are coming at me. And, and that's where it's supposed to be. Uh, I've heard friends of mine a long time back that I'd meet in different places and different conferences, sonship people uh, that were still looking for the manifestation of the sons of God <laughs> somewhere. And uh, every now and then they'd come up, a good friend of mine, a friend, a friend I've been in his church uh, down in a, a certain state and, and he and I have done some speakings together and whatnot, his precious brother. But he got sucked into the Melchizedek order by somebody. Uh, <laughs> you and I are not the ones that fulfill that. <laughs> I mean, come on. Melchizedek is, is not a type of me. Not a testimony of me or you either. He's a God-given testimony to Abraham of Christ, his son. The order of an endless life, and they focus in, those precious brothers, but they all get on, it's, it's the order of an endless life. They forget the order of it. The order of it is in the exaltation, the exalted Son of God. And they can't get that. They just miss that whole thing in the Bible. That there's always, first, read Ephesians 1, first chapter you will find the tremendous exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul does. I mean, he sets him up to where when he gets through setting him up, he is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. He is exalted on high. Is that not the, is that not the truth? And seven sentences Later, which is, is in chapter 2, he just keeps on writing. What do we see? We've seen 
over there, the exclusiveness. Who is sitting there? He's sitting there. Who is above all? He's above all. The name, the power, the authority. Look at it. He's saying, I would, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you could see who is this exceptional power of God. Who is the fullness of this inheritance in the saints? Who is this? And he brings it right on down. And then says, gives him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. And then what does he do? He brings you and me. He brings that body into the picture. But he first firmly establishes the head. The exalted one. Because, honey, the greatness of the body is in the head. The measure, the measure of the whole house of God is in the Son. The measure of our salvation is Christ. The measure of the seed is not a lot of people. It's an, an, a non-numeric, it cannot be numbered, Reality of fullness. That's the greatness of the seed. And that seed is in you. See, then it comes, all of that, he exalts that son, and then it says, and he's in you. Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. Oh, man. That's, that's a tremendous thing, see. So in chapter 2 he says, Blessed be God. And talking about how great was the love of God. Who has done what? Who has quickened us, quickened us together, quickened us as one body. Because he's talking about the body, the church and the body. Quickened us. And the word together means as one. Quickened us as one body with Christ. Raised us up together as one body in Christ. Seated us in the same place. Over here for Christ. In the heavens at the right hand of God. Far above all principalities. Now he comes back and says... And you are there in him. You're not here and he's someplace else. And one day you're going to meet him. No, no. But by the Spirit of God, you are quickened together. You're quickened together as many, 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 many bodies. No, that's stupid. You're quickened together as one body. Increased as it may be, one body. The body of one. And you're not and you're raised. Together. Yeah, because you're the body of the resurrection himself. And then you're seated, established. Set. 
in the heavens in Christ Jesus. All that right there in those verses, chapter 1, chapter 2. Exaltation of Him. Establishing Him. And then, bringing us into that reality. Through salvation, through quickened together, that's new birth. Raised together, that's the resurrection. That's Paul saying what he's saying in chapter 6. And seated together. Hallelujah. Hun, you will see that same truth in reading Hebrews 7, Melchizedek order. You know what the order of Melchizedek is? Somebody said, yeah, it's the endless life. No, no, no it isn't. It's the order of an endless life. But the order, what was Melchizedek that no other man, no other person in the Bible ever was? Not, never in Israel. Never. There was a high priest and there was a king, but they were two different people. Solomon came really close to being another strong example of King priest because of all the sacrifices that he was allowed of the Lord to offer. He, he offered those things. Melchizedek was the king of Salem. He was king of righteousness and he was the high priest of the God of heaven and earth. And he just came on to the Stage one time so that Abraham could see him. And it was unto him that Abraham paid tithe of all of the, what he had just gotten from all of the enemies that he had destroyed. You'll, you can read that, and you've read it probably. And this Melchizedek came to him. And in that he had no father and no mother in his genealogy, which really means that his priesthood and his kingship, all that he was, did not come to him by natural inheritance. He didn't inherit that from his father or his mother. He didn't have a genealogy that went back like Aaron did. Aaron, you know, that priesthood was by genealogy. Aaron and his sons, and then their sons, and then their sons, right on down. Uh, and and the same way with the uh, you know uh, with some of the kings, but with Melchizedek that wasn't that wasn't the way it was, and so he is used as a type of an endless life. That endless life is Christ Himself, but the order of it, the order of it is priest and king, not. He is a priest and a king. He is the king priest. He is both. He is both. Not only, not only does he bring us in to the place prepared of God, 
He rules there. He rules there. I heard I heard Rabin mention something about about that this morning. That he's not king by permission. He's king. He's king. Same way with priest. He has finished what he has finished, hon. And when we come to him, that's where he brings us. And it's a shame to be ignorant of that. It's a shame to live all of our lifetime born again, born from above, going to church, and are still looking for something to come, the fulfillment of which is in Christ now in you. Now that's a shame. And I've suffered that shame in my own life. And the Lord brought me to the place of seeing His Son. Hallelujah. Amen. So, you know, the greatness of our high priest. And therefore, the greatness of our salvation. We are made partakers. Of his greatness. Blessed be the Lord. Thank you. Thank you for letting me just talk a while. And may the Lord richly bless you. And you read though, because there's there's nothing here that I've got written down that that you know. It's, it's all here. Most of it I've said. I've just never read the verses here. But I wouldn't have gotten through reading them anyway. There's just too many of them. But your readers, your searchers, with in mind what, what we've been talking about, look at Hebrews. Just look at it. And in verse 24, you will see exactly what Paul is saying in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 verse 1 through verse 7. You'll see the reality of that in Hebrews 9, 24. And also in Colossians 3, verse 1 through verse 4. It's all about that. It's all about our life being hid, hid in Him and we being in Him and He being revealed in us that we may behold Him in His glory. <laughs> Hallelujah. finished the work, Father, and entered into his rest. So, well, we have one more session. I'm sorry, I was sitting here thinking that this was it. We have another session in the morning, 10 o'clock. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jimmy Collins will have that session in the morning. 10 o'clock. And then... Our resident chef will have the brisket ready to go. And I know that because I'm going to help him do it. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to help him under the guise of seeing to it that it gets. 
He'll have it here, and we'll have it for you guys to eat. And if there's any way, period, that I can pull it off, I'm going to cut something off that and eat it. <laughs> and... All right. The Lord bless you guys that are with us by internet. Wish you were here tomorrow, tonight, and the whole time. But uh, while you're eating your hamburger tomorrow, we're going to be eating. We're going to be eating a big old brisket. Wish you were here. <laughs> now you. We can edit all this off of the end. They probably won't. They probably will not do that. But we can. Anyway. All right. Well, that's it for tonight. And uh, I, I was sitting here thinking so long because I really thought that we were ending things tonight, but we're not. We're doing that tomorrow. So, see you in the morning. Lord bless. Good night. <laughs>